Well, welcome, 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 welcome to another episode of Free the Geek. In this episode with my my maiden, I guess you'd call him informal, uh, unofficial mentor, Carl Hughes, it's a different one, I'll just say that. I feel the need to say that because when you hear the first, I think, quarter of it, you probably might be thinking, what exactly is going on? What exactly are those two doing? Are they drunk? No, we weren't. We were stone cold sober. It's just that the conversation that I I had anticipated, my kind of usual style of, we'll start off with one question, see where that goes, perhaps sort of let it then roll its way through a series of other questions or not, didn't quite happen. But I'm very, very, very happy about that because I feel that the quality of the resultant conversation was so much more meaningful, was so much more interesting. It was amazingly enjoyable. I'm using way too many superlatives there and I really shouldn't. I feel like a bit of a cliche. Anyway, that said, get into it. I'd love to know what you think. Please be patient for the first part because it really is essential to the latter part. Though that said, if you feel that you're really not sure where we're going, scrub along until you get to more of the the meat of our conversation. I won't tell you exactly where that is because I'll leave that bit of fun for yourself. Otherwise, roll the intro music. Want to learn the essentials of developing and deploying applications with Docker Compose, especially if you've been struggling to figure out what you need to know while Googling, searching Stack Overflow, and various other forums, then you'll love Deploy with Docker Compose. It's a free book and course that teaches you the essentials of building images and deployment configurations, tagging images, and pushing them to remote contained registries how to debug applications running inside containers, how to debug containers when they don't work as expected, and how to deploy your application to a production environment or any other environment using Docker Compose. Now, it doesn't cover every possible Docker command, nor does it go absolutely super duper deep in depth about anything that you could know. It just covers the essentials that you need to know so that you can deploy your first application with confidence. And you also get a host of supporting information, tips, tricks, and pointers to help you out when you get stuck. Check it out today at deploywithdockercompose.com. Records. I guess if you press that button, that kind of records things. Um, yeah, I, oh, that's really cool. I really like this idea of when people put in B-roll and then we just start and then people say, but the, the podcast said it was about 
What? Why are they talking about? Wait, where was the Where was the conversation? I I have this like desire. I'm not really doing this yet, but I have this desire someday to like mm-hmm. instead of going to a party. Like I, I went to a bunch of weddings uh, uh, last summer when COVID was kind of lightening up here, and we had a bunch of outdoor weddings to kind of catch up on. And the thing that I had the same exact conversation with every mm-hmm. group of friends. You know, how's your, how are you doing? How's your job? How's your house? How's your kid? How's your dog? You know, it's like the same five topics. And they're all safe, very safe surface level topics. Yeah. And I wanted to go into one of those and just be like, what do you think of God? Like, do, do you think religion is a net positive in the world? You know, like just something really hard to answer that people would make very uncomfortable and just like see mm. what happens. And I, I I don't have the guts to do it yet, but I, someday this is like a social experiment thing. Yeah. My wife's like, don't do that when I'm around, I'm going to kill you. But like, I do want to do this someday. And I think it's a admirable trait if you can get that deep that quickly with people. Yeah, that'd be interesting because what was on the, on the point of, was it religion? There was one thing. Ah, if you're for maybe a laugh, nothing else. There are two people that I find cool. One is an Australian, I think Australian American. I think, no, British Australian, born in the UK, grew up in Western Australia, called Tim Minchin. Uh, he's a comedian, playwright, director, actor, blah, blah. Uh, and he wrote a piece called Storm. Tim mentioned Storm, you'll find it. And it's this basically like long monologue, uh, which is so much more meaningful if you lived in London. But that's where he and his wife are living in the UK and friends invite them around to a little flat and they come around for dinner. And there's this random friend and her name's Storm. And she has a, was it like a little butterfly tattoo, like kind of pointing out the cliches of a certain kind of person. And she believes in alternative medicines and this, this and that. And that, the, the some of it is she's it, it kind of is that kind of cliche and he's like several glasses maybe a bottle or two of wine in and he's like i've had enough of this shit right but up to this point the wife has been like mm-mm, mm-mm. <laughs> right like, don't don't talk don't don't push back <laughs> and he's like okay or i'm getting this oh that was the foot under the table then it's like yeah. no i'm several bottles down yeah. it's on it, it's and, it's sad though, like we can't, and this is true. I think in the U.S. and the U.K. that that um, are a lot of like political things, but even some of these like uh, health things, like medical things, have gotten so polarized mm-hmm. that people can't even have a conversation about why the merits of one side or the other. It's really, it is too bad. I mean, it, yeah, I don't know that it. I don't know if it's always been like that to some extent or if it's gotten worse. I really don't know. I don't have the data on that, but I just, I feel bad for people that can't have a conversation logically about a hard topic that they may have a strong opinion about or strong belief or, or even strong data behind uh, because it's just, I like those conversations. I like to get like down yeah. to some real stuff. That's hard that I, I I'll admit, I don't know all the answers to. I, I don't want to come into the conversation with like, this is, I, I think this way. And that's the only way to think. I want to come in and hear the other side. Cause even if they're wrong, there's something in the fact that someone, a human believes it and a human who is rational and <laughs> reasonable and like mm-hmm. intelligent still believes this thing that I think is completely false, but they, they believe it. And there, there's something to that. It's like, it, yeah. you have to understand the psychology of people to like dig through that. I don't know. It, it is. Yeah. Like that. I, I, like I grew up and I, and I say this more and more, According to academic papers, I grew up in a homophobic racist town and that filled in a few missing pieces for me, you know, when I heard about this years later, but like, despite that, 
I, I feel very fortunate that I had parents who said, look, you, if nothing, one, don't shoot your mouth off if you don't know what you're talking about. Sure. You, we all make mistakes and you think you know something and maybe you got the fact wrong. Okay. Or you're having a bad day and you're tired and you, you just, your head's not the right space. Okay. Whatever. But on the whole though, if you just don't know a topic, don't kind of wait in like, well, I know this and this is how it is. And just ramble. And secondly, um, was it agree to disagree Yeah. that, okay, you can, and I have this with a really wonderful friend. He is, uh, he's, the, um, what would you say? He, he found God later in life as it were. And he told me his reasons and it makes sense for me. So, okay, that, that fits as to why, but he's a really well-rounded open person who we've had wonderful chats about our respective beliefs or lack sure. thereof. Right. Because I grew up in a Catholic household and on my 18th birthday happened to fall on a Sunday. And to which I said to my mum, I'm not going because you said when I was 14, that when I was 18, I could choose. Well, it's my 18th birthday today <laughs> and I'm not going. So <laughs> your mom was like, oh my God, I can't believe I promised that. Like, you know, I thought this day would never come four years ago. <laughs> oh, she denied she did. And I said, uh, but yes, course, you did. Yeah. Would you like yeah. me to tell you where you stood? Because that was a very defining yeah. moment here's, for me. Here's a, a note to you kids out there listening. Uh, if you want to stop going to church, make sure to get that in writing from your parents. The day you turn 18, <laughs> they're going to let you stop to get in writing. Otherwise they'll deny it. They'll deny it. But you got to stand. <laughs> But also, kids, you have to stand firm. Stand firm behind your beliefs. Know why you're standing behind them? Stand firm. That's um, right. <laughs> so, like, we have very different positions, but both yeah. of us were clear on why we held those positions, but mm -hmm. also were respectful of the other person. And Yeah, I love that. I love when you can get to that with somebody. It's, really? it's beautiful. So you can have deep conversations and really say, thrash yeah. out, well, why don't you, or why do you? And this one time I remember where we were, he said, okay, well, we'll back up. That's getting a bit sensitive for me. Can you just ease off? Said, All right. You know, like respect right. the line. Yep. And then we just, we moved on to some other aspect of our broader discussion. Whereas yeah. I have other friends who you've really, you're walking on eggshells around, yeah, let's absolutely. not touch it because all of a sudden you just see, you, you see the expression in the eyes, in the body language, you have touched on a sacred ground that is heresy. And you think, I'm not really sure what I've done. And you've gladly told me the things that you think I'm wrong on. Yeah. But it doesn't go both ways. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's tricky. I, I, I don't have an answer for this, but I've always loved having these kinds of uh, those kinds of conversations where you get to that level with somebody where you can establish that you respectfully disagree, but also can listen to the other side in a way that is like without like emotion coming into it too much. And, mm. and it's I think it's hard when it comes to religious things, because a lot of religion, in my experience, has it, it comes down to a personal experience that is very hard for to, for you to impress upon another person mm -hmm. or to replicate at a moment's call, which is what. You know, people who may be arguing against religion often are like, well, back it up with logic and reason. And the religious person often ends up, being, you know, talking about like, well, I had a personal experience. I can't just, that's not logic and reason. That's a personal experience. And that, so it kind of gets, you sometimes get, I find that I get to an impasse with people sometimes in this, um, this realm. But at the same time, like there are plenty of people out there who can talk about it and are mm -hmm. very willing to share their, the, 
the reasons for their beliefs, which is always very interesting to me. And so, yeah, I don't know if we're, you know, we're off, off beat with the podcast, but like, this is always fun. Uh, mm-hmm. This is a fun topic for me anyway. <laughs> Definitely. No, there are like some people who I, I like the people who will argue passionately and they can articulate and you can, mm-hmm. and as you listen to them, you can hear that you've, this is, this centers on a meaningful time or something for you, but it's not just raw emotion and I feel, and I had this experience. So therefore everybody else should have that experience. Nothing wrong with wanting to share that with others, but the ones that are most meaningful to me are the people who you can see they've won this, they're introspective and they really think, well, why is this meaningful for me? What's this, how has this affected me and and in such deep ways and then really kind of look at then their source material and really come to understand it and take time to think it over and no I don't agree with that bit because whatever your reasons are or absolutely I'm behind that whereas by contrast the ones that I can't struggle to be open-minded for are the ones who just seem to Someone stood up and said this, and they said, yes, great. And there's, there's no, wait a second, that, that couldn't possibly be true because you've told me this thing, and that's yep. meant to be true too, but this thing is completely counter to that. <laughs> just, just this blind acceptance. If there's yeah. thought, even if I think, I think maybe you're a bit crazy or kooky, <laughs> I can respect someone for thinking it through and, and, yeah. and, and all that goes with that. So, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it, you know, and it's funny, like I was reflecting it's in a similar vein, I was reflecting on this, like when it comes to managing a team of people mm-hmm. and these kinds of issues, like, for example, a lot of companies have been catching heat in the United States because they they're standing up for certain uh, what would be called political issues or social rights issues, human rights mm-hmm. issues, depending on you, you know how you take it. But they're saying they're taking a stance on things that people have the other side on. And um, that's tricky as a, I, a business owner myself. I'm like, ooh, how outspoken do I want to be when my team may be split on this issue? Or mm-hmm. do I want to bring it up in a team meeting that may feel make some people feel very uncomfortable? And, you know, how, how I'm not saying that um, yeah, like we should bring this into every, every company event because it doesn't mm-hmm. make sense. But there's times when a really big thing happens and, you know, a lot of CEOs are compelled to talk about it and make it a, an issue that they want to stand behind or donate money to a cause or, or whatever. And so this, this activism is, is very, um, I struggle with this personally. I don't know where to land on it yet. Like how, how I should, mm-hmm. how I should react and how I should, is, should I isolate people who may feel differently within my company they're reporting to me or, or a couple layers down reporting to me. Um, and that's, it, it's just, yeah, it's a touchy thing. I don't have an answer for that. I don't, I don't know that anybody does. Oh, come on, come on. One yeah, spot. I'll put I, you on the spot. Here's what's the, mic. the, what's the answer, right? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I've taken, I've taken a stand on a couple issues where I felt like it was, it was my response. I was in a spot where I had the responsibility or the, the sort of like visibility to say like, this is, this isn't, right you know or something um a few years ago i was speaking at a lot of conferences tech conferences and there was one that was in you know eastern europe i think and they had a you know all white male lineup now you know regional eastern europe european conference it's probably tough for them to get diverse applicants but like 
there is a diversity of people over in Eastern Europe. It's not, you know, it, it, let's be real. It's like that they just didn't try. And, and I kind of called them out on that at, on Twitter because I was around a lot of conferences and I was seeing a lot of these lineups and it was frustrating to be like, I, and like, look, I'm a white male. So like I get up there and speak and I know if they're only taking people like me, it's just like, it's not right. And it's not fair. And I don't think it's something that I think conferences need to be uh, sort of leading the pace in our, our industry mm-hmm. of like tech, of like promoting diversity. I think it's okay to be more activist. Anyway, they should at least try. And mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. this wasn't, you know, clearly not tried. And it, the the tweet kind of got picked up and made the rounds on some like, you know, the, the gossip tech gossip things and and all that you know a few thousand like people responded everything Mm -hmm. from death threats to you know this guy's got got it nailed it's it's wild to get like something accidentally like that go viral because i'm normally not somebody who stands up and makes a big stink over like these kind of issues um but yeah there's there's certain things and maybe this goes back to we were talking before we recorded about like how you know there's only so much bandwidth i have as a human to help contribute back to the world. And I have to decide what are the causes I really care about and want to take that stand on. And what are the causes mm-hmm. that I'm going to let other people handle? And, I, you know, not that I'm saying I don't want to ever talk about them or touch them, but like I I'm, they're not my realm of expertise or I, I only have so much, you know, ability to do mm-hmm. things. So I think there's certain things I'm starting to like land around that I feel more passionate about and like am more willing to take a stand on and lose friends over or lose connections over or whatever than other things where I'm a little more conflicted and I see that it's tough. And I, I don't want to make a, you know, I don't want to necessarily, I, maybe I'm not the best person to stand up there and be the one calling it out. Well, I think, I think certain personalities lean themselves more toward uh, activism perhaps, or not activism not from the perspective of you're behind causes per se but more out there and saying i'm going to take a stand on whatever sure. it is or voice an opinion whereas I don't know, i'm less inclined to do stuff publicly more to you know talk to somebody like hey i didn't i just um like messaging you privately i think what you did was blah or i think what you right. did is great um whereas yeah i've got mates who are no 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 that it's just out there is it's yeah. sort of like no filter at all um and i just like i know roughly where i stand on that and i make the most of that but i guess working through those points i really agree with what you said uh, on the point of like the same kind of people at the lineup whilst those in now kind of be the inverse of what i just said and actually be publicly saying something um while it can be great like those people can be very educated whoever they may be if they just happen to be white middle-aged males okay they can be very educated and that's fine but i think on one hand if it's the same people saying the same stories well eventually you've covered yeah like a a broad swathe of people so what are you really contributing how is someone going to learn when that's the core well one of the two core aims of your tech conference and then secondly it kind of relates to something my mom told me once um and it really I feel it helped center me and it was on the point of racism. Um, I didn't, as I said, I didn't quite appreciate the town I was living in. Um, I'm sure if people are from that town, they're going to give me slack, but right, anyway, right. <laughs> whatever. Um, and, and that was that if you write someone off, like say you're a hiring manager or an owner or whatnot, and you have, let's say you have five candidates and one is, I think it was the American term is person of color. Is that the sure. term now? Yeah. Uh, and you've got your middle-aged white 
male or younger or like someone's older female like let's just have a broad swathe here and you say oh no i couldn't hire these people i'll have to hire that person because those people couldn't do it because of blah blah yeah well the, the point my mum gave to me was well you've likely cut your nose off despite your face because if one of those people who you were prejudiced against was brilliant like they were just knowledgeable beyond measure in that particular role that you were hiring for were a very capable person very self-organized you've just written them off Absolutely. to take someone who is perhaps a shadow right yeah. and so for your prejudices you've then harmed yourself and the team that that person could have been a part of yeah absolutely so well think about and it also leads in nicely to i increasingly think of this idea of if i were to like start a company again and it were to prosper that idea of having a broadly flat pay structure because i had the point and i'm kind of lost it but i'm trying to hold on to it here that sense of of, of oh, no no it's gone it was so there it was something well, about like treating people equally and not right right equally yeah so that, that's one of the things that um when you know kind of this actually does like fit into some of the philosophy of draft.dev and the, the way we run the company like instead of like a lot of companies before that started before the pandemic, they sort of had tiered pay rates based on where you were in the world. You kind of get paid more if you live in a high cost living area, paid less in a lower cost living area. Now, in some sense, that sounds fair. Um, I get, you know, I get the arguments for it, but I, I feel a bit, um, I feel weird about that personally mm -hmm. as a, as a business owner and employer and someone hiring, because what it's ultimately saying is that the person who happens to live in California's hours are like inherently worth more to the company or worth more, you know, whatever on their face than someone who happens to live in, you know, the, like South Africa or India or Thailand or whatever. And that's just not true if they're doing the same job. Um, now you may, you know, if you need to hire a certain talent base that happens to be highly concentrated in Silicon Valley and like you're, you're making an argument that certain key hires, you're going to have to pay more fine but you should like set your bar at like we pay this high amount and now anyone in the world can apply and mm -hmm. if you meet that bar of what we're looking for we'll pay you that same high amount like why pay them less just because they happen to live somewhere cheaper yeah. so i think there's um i i think it's just a it, it's always bothered me you know that and mm -hmm. that, that kind of goes to like that prejudice that and i think this is a um a very common prejudice that is not um it's often written off, but like a lot of companies, for example, have a policy where they only can hire from, you know, certain countries. And it's because of, you know, ostensibly because of HR limitations, payroll mm -hmm. limitations, whatever. Yeah. There's some legal stuff there. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. But the reality I think is that a lot of them are just looking at like, we only want to hire from developed countries where there's, you know, like tends to be our existing employee base so that we don't, you know, like, go too far outside of the norm. And what is, is kind of great for us, but also terrible for them is they're missing out on huge swaths of the population of the world that live mm -hmm. in countries that they just wrote off because they, they didn't get somebody good there back when they first hired internationally. You know, mm -hmm. it's like I hear this a lot in startups. There's a huge bias. I, and people ask me this all the time, like, 
um, you know, do you work with Indian developers? Like it's a, this like scary, terrible thing. And I'm like, that isn't, it's just, it blows my mind that people still think this way. Like in, you know, we're in this uh, America where it's supposed to be this big melting pot being like half the CEOs of us companies are Indian. Like it's like insane. But mm. at the same time, like people still literally ask me this as like, I, you know, when I'm consulting with startups or talking with them, like, yeah, but like Indian developers, can they really, are they as good? And I'm like, oh my God, like they're, a, it's a freaking subcontinent. It's huge. There's a, there's a billion people over there. There's not a Indian developers, good Americans, bad or vice versa. Mm-hmm. It's, it's complicated. Like you have to look mm-hmm. at individuals and uh, yeah. Anyway, I've always, it's always really bothered me that whole, like writing off whole areas because whatever they whether it's their English skills aren't, as, as strong or the same as yours, like they speak a different dialect, fine. Mm. Or their, um, you know, their time zone is different or their work cultures are different. And therefore people just say, well, can't do that. You know, it's like, that's just the, I mean, you're just like, you're again, you're cutting off your nose to spite your face, as you said. Mm. And it, it's, it's too bad for the, the companies that are missing the boat on this, because I think a lot of companies now are not forming that way. They're starting with an international first approach of like, let's hire anybody in the world, regardless of, you know, where they happen to live and get them on a good pay scale and sort of level this playing field a bit out. So I think, and this is one of these like broad trends that I really hope to see in my lifetime is like Mm -hmm. some of these like pay discrepancies and cost and like living standards leveling out because of global international employment and remote work being so much easier and more possible than it was even just five years ago. I, I hope it will be. And I'm like, I'm very much on the same proverbial train. I like, I admit I can, as you're sort of talking through that, I could, I remembered myself from like 20 plus years ago thinking, yeah, yeah, I was, I was kind of silly, but I like the fact these days that having been over here and started to be more open-minded, although I was there before, you know, I, I think I could arguably say I could met enough people from enough places that if someone said, oh, you can't trust those people. It's like, well, I oh, had to work with one like two years ago right. or <laughs> in the last contract. And like, they were pretty good. You can always find a, a questionable person from anywhere, any group, any gender, any whatnot. Like yeah, years absolutely. ago, I shared a house with some interesting people. Um, and there was this one girl from New Zealand. I could say it was a very poor experience. And I could say, well, look, all Kiwis are just clearly questionable people for this one person or say, no, it was just that one particular person who maybe at a particular point in their life was just a little bit special. Meet them 10 years later and they're like, yeah, that was a growing experience for me. Whatever. Totally. I, I agree with the point. Like you, why just because someone lived or lives somewhere, which happens to have a high cost of living, I feel sorry for that person if that's the case, living in Germany with a high cost of living. But as you said, this is the rate that we can afford or that we feel is is justified for that role. I would see it as, as you said, um, well, I'll hire that person. Whoever that person is, if they can best fulfill the role, young, old, new, veteran, right. whatever, that's the rate. Not... No. Well, let's see. And so I happen to like you, so I'm going to bump it up or whatever, or you fall within my, my preferred biases. Yeah. I, I like what you say. So it kind of hopefully becomes easier as a, as a hiring manager, easier from a finance perspective to say, this is our rate for the role. Yeah. Can we fill the role? Great. That's the rate. Yeah. Not this kind of weird tiered thing. And hopefully that might also play into getting around that, although 
perhaps it's partly cultural as well. Like, oh, we don't talk about race because it's like, well, this is right. the rate it was published on the website. That's yep. that's what someone's getting. It's kind of out there. But yep. perhaps that's slightly different. Yeah, I don't know. We, I mean, we take the philosophy of having a, a very transparent pay scale and like rates for different roles. And so when you get newly hired into a, whatever, an account manager role, this is the pay rate. And over time it goes up by X percent a year, depending on your performance. And like, it's a very straightforward thing. It isn't like people get to come in at a higher rate. People get to come in at a, you know, like a junior. We Right now we don't have junior ones. Maybe we would have a different role for that and they might come in at some lower rate, but earn their way to it. But like, yeah, we, I don't know. I mean, I don't know that we'll be like this forever or that big companies can do it the same way. I have no idea. They probably have different you know, restrictions on the way they can do this sort of thing. But mm -hmm. one of the advantages to being small is you get to kind of throw the playbook out and just say like, what makes logical sense for a company like ours? Like, what's the kind of culture we want to build? And that's something I've always been trying to keep in mind as, you know, running a company myself for the first time in the last couple of years is like, okay, what do I really want here? I don't, I don't care what the rules tell me to do. Like, what's the, what's the point? Like, mm -hmm. uh, and so you get, when you throw the rules out and you get to start over, it's a lot easier. So I, I do empathize with, um, hiring man, middle managers at big companies, you don't get the freedom to just do this sort of thing. So I, I don't want to critique people and like blame them because ultimately there's a lot of hierarchy in big businesses you can't mm. do anything about. But uh, yeah, when you get to start over, why not throw it all out and start over? Why why obey the rules just because somebody else told you at your old job? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess the other reason that I really like this kind of conversation is that it's it, it plays in, into or a little into the fact that we're like my um, family and I are moving to Australia next year, you know, moving to where it's very cool and, uh, sub, you know, not tropical at all. <laughs> the place that I come from is a lot like California. Yeah. Um, and there's been the, some questions from family and friends of, so what are you going to do when you get there? And it, that segues nicely with what exactly do you do anyway? <laughs> and so after educating people on the fact of when I say I'm working, there's a laptop and I'm sitting in a cafe. I actually am working. It's a real job, people. Mom, I do have one. It's, you know, I promise you I'm earning cash. Um, there was that thought of, and I don't know why. I, I think it's, I don't know if you'd argue it's a failing in my thinking, but here I kind of have a certain mindset and I feel I kind of carried the one that I, I left behind where, which was a lot of, you worked for a company and so many friends who've lived over here and then gone back have said, well, we'd really like to live there because, you know, her family or his family lives there and all that. But what I do, I have to live there. And I don't think it's a real issue. I think it's more just a, a thought that just percolates away. But the one thing I don't want to do is kind of fall into that. Well, I'll have to live some particular location for a certain job. Yeah. Um, and, and I, this kind of, even, even just saying it feels like a weird thing to say, because I haven't done it for years. And yeah. the company that I'm working at now, Twilio is, well, they said they, as a result of the pandemic, they restructured how they approach work to be a remote first workplace. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like it's a, even a, a thing, but there's this weird part of my mind that I, and so many of the people that I know, love them as I do, do or have always worked for an employer and more or less gone to an office. And I kind of 
perhaps more that's it that I'm kind of wondering what kind of conversations will there be of oh so you do you not have a job yet like no I'm same job employed. yeah still going <laughs> it's like but you don't go to an office like yeah well I do it's just I get out of my bedroom I go down the hallway and sure there it is yeah I I think perhaps this weird windy thought is more on so my perception at times of sort of social norms and social expectations of of how things work and perhaps at times when you step outside of a norm that you held for so long it can be a challenging thing to fully readjust your perspective and fully leave old things behind yeah um yeah, so I'm, absolutely I'm not sure what it's like to then say go from being say a full-time person to uh, sorry full-time employee to then saying I'm now gonna well start a business and yeah what would you say flip a coin that, as it were yeah that was a huge mental shift I mean uh so okay. I think your yeah your question about the like how did it feel uh, you know, going from being employed and having a mm. job to being self-employed, you know, the, the context there, I, I had a, a wife and a one-year-old at the time mm -hmm. that I'm, you know, I mean, my wife has a great job with health insurance, which is a big consideration for me being able to be self-employed, but um, it's still like, it was a consideration. I didn't want to be bringing nothing to the family for an indefinite amount of time because I, I just wouldn't feel right about that to her and to, to everybody. So, um, there was a big consideration of financials. And then also just like, especially once I started paying other people's paychecks, mm -hmm. it was really scary. So that first year, a lot of nights I would wake up at two in the morning, just like thinking like, is this really going to happen? Is this really working? I'd be thinking about a client issue that was coming in, uh, an unsatisfied client or a, a writer who had dropped off and we couldn't find anymore. And it was like, not going to get done. Things are going to move. It was like, just all that little stuff would stress me out like crazy that first year. And then I think eventually it just leveled out into some level of, you know, I, I guess as I started to hire more people, I could kind of pay them to think about those things more and, and didn't have to think about as many of those little issues. And I tried mm -hmm. to back up a step and just th look at the business as an entity outside of me. Mm -hmm. um, it's helped a lot that we've been, we've, you know, been successful financially and like it stayed afloat, but, but that wasn't all <laughs> that's funny. I, as I say that it, that wasn't, you know, necessarily that easy to get to either. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a point like in, in uh, October of last year where we used to charge clients after we started delivering articles to them and we grew really quickly. So we had lots of new clients starting, we're writing lots of new articles, paying lots of writers and editors, but not much money had come in yet. We we're waiting to charge until after we started delivering. So we got ourselves in this spot where it's like, oh, the payroll is going to be, let's say $40,000 this month. We only have 20,000 left in the bank. What's going to cover that, that gap there. Uh, and, you know, it's like we, we collected enough to make it work, but it made me realize like there's some things fundamentally in the business that I needed to fix mm -hmm. to make sure we didn't get ourselves into a hole where we didn't have cash flow. And so all these little things like I didn't know until I got in here and just started doing it. So I'm glad I did, but also they're really scary. They're like, at the end of the day, it's like, I'm personally on the hook for that money. Mm -hmm. And um, that's more than I have just sitting around in an account on a daily basis. So it it's um, there's a, it's definitely scary, but, but it also um, it's, it, that's part of it. Anybody who starts a business, eventually you have to kind of get over that fear. Okay. Yeah. It reminds me of, um, 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 a friend who I worked with years ago and he started, I think he kind of went a similar path for a period of time. He was a, I think it was Ruby on rails developer. And then 
sometime after the uh, he left the company that we were both working at, excuse me, um, he went freelancing. And I think the company kind of grew not intentionally at all. There was no specific plan. And sort of yeah. before he knew it, he had a, like a few developers and there were a series of clients. And he's like, now, as, as you said, I'm on the hook for them as well. And it became, I now have to make sure that we keep finding work. And I think, I don't really know the story, but I think enough of it is that that became too much of an issue. Mm. And it was, yeah. I, d I don't want to be kind of on the hook anymore. And maybe he, um, yeah, I think if I sort of said more, I'd be kind of just speculating. Too no, but, wildly, I, but I've seen this a lot with entrepreneurs who they like freelancing or they like being very independent, but they realize as they get as it grows, oh, I don't really want to manage a lot of people or I don't really want to do sales all day. And eventually that's what's required of them to keep it moving. And, and so I, I do think that it's really important that as a, if you're going to start a company, you think about like, what do I really want to do with my day? Like, do I, because I, I, just to give you a preview, like I run a 16, we have 16 full-time people and a couple hundred contractors. So it's a fairly, you know, good size, small business. Um, and <laughs> I, all I do is phone calls all day. So <laughs> if you're not ready to be on zoom calls for eight hours a day, four or five days a week, um, you may not want to try to grow your company because that's ultimately what you end up doing is just being this like person who gets in pulled into all the little like issues that come up. You get, you know, lots of customers want to meet with you or partners or whatever. It's just so many people will start to, and you can do some things to help minimize that. Like I may block off some half days to get some focus time in, mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, like if the company needs me to be the person on the calls, on the phone, on the, like doing the PR stuff, yeah. that's what I'm going to do. I, I, I'm now at the service of this machine I've built. So yeah, you don't get it. It's not free. You don't get to like, mm -hmm. just do, I mean, pop off into the sunset forever with it and it's easy mode. Uh, but at the same time, not many people who start companies want to just go sit on the beach eight hours a day. You know, I mean, like, like yeah. we tend to be the kind of hard driving people that enjoy our work. And like, I do enjoy my work. I'm excited about the opportunities mm -hmm. we give to people. So like there, anyway, there's a, there's a lot there, but yeah. You mean you, <laughs> you don't like just it. want the Ferraris and the champagne it's, and the it, big offices? I don't have a Ferrari and, and, and don't drink much. So uh, no, no, not on that. But, but, you know, like there is obviously like, if, if money's your only motivator, you're going to have a hard time grinding through the beginning part because you don't mm -hmm. make much for the first, I mean, nobody makes much for the first couple of years. And even yeah. now I can't just take cash out of the business anytime I want. So um, that's one thing to think about. But if ultimately, I mean, entrepreneurship, to be honest, is a path, like one of the only pathways where there's no, um, there's no limit to the upside. If you, you know, if you look at the most successful people from a financial perspective out mm -hmm. there, if that is your goal, you almost have to start a business. Nobody makes, you know, is the most nobody becomes the richest person in the world by like just um working a day job you know there's almost always an entrepreneurial element to people who go to that next level unless you're a footballer in the uk um maybe yeah 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 there's a there's a couple <laughs> but but i think for those of us in our you know yes. late 30s we've passed that boat so we don't get that option anymore we missed our opportunity <laughs> that's true that boat has definitely sailed but yeah being serious though um that is there, there are a series of questions i'd like to, to tease out if if time is available and one was actually there were there were two and well tease out and also state is i like what you said about thinking about what do you actually want to do or like 
all day, as it were, five days a week or whatever that stereotype is right. for you, because at least I didn't think about it for years. It was just like, it was that thing of my grandma used to ask me when I was a little kid, what do you want to be when, you, when you're older? And there were just things that sort of so many of my older cousins and so forth did, and you just sort of assumed without really thinking, well, I'll have to do this, I'll have to do that. And then when I, well, toward the end of my time in the UK, I started saying, well, I just, I don't want to do that anymore because I, I had a, a, an experience once when, have you ever r ridden the London Underground? Yeah, yeah, or, absolutely. I was going to say, or something like it, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. after several years of, of riding it, no, no, sorry, in the first year it was, uh, I had a moment standing on the platform where I pretty much almost just started hyperventilating or I knew mm -hmm. if I stepped into that carriage, I was mm -hmm. going to freak out. Yeah. Yeah. And it came out of nowhere. I'd never had it before. And I just, I, I was sort of almost paralyzed on the station uh, platform. And my uh, then, then girlfriend, our wife said, what are you doing? I said, I cannot get into that train. Anyway, so the, the point of this was that that really started off a chain reaction, really, that, uh, which was helped by when I got into the train, I looked, I just started looking at people more and kind of speculating as to what their lives must be and seeing people at various ages and thought, what's going on here? What, what, what is the daily routine? Because at some point, life will pass me by. You know, it will yeah. just be the sun will set as it, you know, you'll get into that twilight. I hope I'll get into that twilight. Maybe I won't. But stop just kind of coasting along and yeah. put some more conscious thought into this. And then that helped me kind of look at what I was doing work-wise and I was just purely developing in those days. And then that started to morph into part the time developing, part the time doing technical writing, dev ed, yeah. that sort of yeah. stuff. And that further along with, I, I didn't really want to do either of them all day long because I would just get right. this real zone out. My eyes would ache and you'd really feel a sense of it starts off really well in the morning, but by the evening or afternoon, it's just, I just want to, I, I either have to be in a dark room or yeah. just look out the sky and thought, right. In this, what makes sense? And then being freelancing, it was not that I think I did it that well, but it was that, as you say, you do I want to be like a tech who kind of is still doing it till whatever day that I decide to, you know, hop off sure. or go up the management track? You know, what path is it? And so I think it, I, I, I hope if, um, if, if dear listener gets nothing out of this, uh, this episode that they get that is like, put, don't just coast, put more conscious thought into, well, yeah. what do you do? And is that, yeah, my absolutely. My my uh, executive coach I work with. This is you know support network is part of what I think has enabled me to to kind of figure this some of this out. Uh, but one of them is I work with an executive coach, and he has been really helpful about like you know the most successful people, people who feel most fulfilled, they work with intention. So in other words, they don't just take the promotions they're given and follow the path that's told to to follow. They think like, what do I really want to do all day? What do I really want my life to look like in five mm -hmm. years? And then they go take the little steps required every day to get them closer to that. And it sounds simple, but it's not easy to do. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like society tends to kind of push you to a path. Like you should, I studied mechanical engineering. I should have gone out and worked at, a, you know, a 
mechanical engineering company and worked my way for 10 years to become a middle manager. Like, mm -hmm. but I just didn't want to do, I just didn't, that wasn't my intention. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't do it and, and it's fine. Um, but yeah, that's, it's really hard for a lot of people, I think, to get over the um, momentum of pressure, whether it's society, family, like expectations from others and just mm -hmm. work in their own intention. If you can though, it's, it's amazingly freeing and it kind of, it, it's really, it's, it's awesome. It's the same. Like if you start a company, it doesn't mean you have to grow big and be super financially successful. You could start a small business and stay small forever. That's fine. My dad ran an antique store for many years and never had more than a couple employees. Mm -hmm. Like it, he loved it. It was his, you know, it's like what he wanted to do every day. He wanted to be at that store. So I think that's, that's something I try to take, remember, keep reminding myself and it, it but it's something definitely to take away if you're at that one of those career crossroads. It, like it is. I, I, I just, I have, I have a beautiful friend and he's, I love his sense of clarity that he's had for as long as I've known him. Like of all the people I worked with, he was clear. This is yeah. what I'm doing. And this is why. And there was nothing. There was, it would have been an, was it a, uh, immovable objects, object meets an irresistible force kind of thing. And he was one of those two. Um, but so often, and also for myself, it was, there wasn't really much thought. It was just, yeah, yeah. You, or you, you paid lip service to that. Well, where do you see yourself in five years? Well, here's one of the pat answers I got off the, the uh, recruiter websites kind of thing. Boss smiles. Good. I passed that move on. Um, I, I do, well, I do, but don't wish I had given more thought to that some time back. I appreciate yeah. that. I didn't and I am where I am. So let's make the most of that. Yeah. Um, but there was another thing I was, I was wanting to tease out in what you said, which was, um, I think it got back to, where was it? It was, it was in the growing aspect. You sort of, you, you were, it was around about the point when you said that you had, it was a 16 employees and, and it was a couple hundred contractors. Is that yeah. Right? A couple hundred contractors. Yeah. And it was something in the, the growing phase. I think it, nah. Anyway, it was, it was something in there. It was, it was a gem that I should have written down, but I, that said, I, I did love, or I do love the fact that when we talk, there is more clarity, more uh, tangible information that comes through versus the stuff that I often read online, which is very broad, very abstract advice yeah. or the journey is kind of seemingly these very key parts are either not covered at all or glossed over. Yeah. So it was That's helpful a, to hear that. Yeah. I, I have a kind of a thought about this too. Like so much of uh, business advice or, or things that people write on the internet, it's like they write general advice instead of sharing a story or sharing their experience. Because like the problem is people don't read advice and then just just follow it. <laughs> it's just, it's, they don't internalize anything from that, but people do, if they can match it to, they can pattern match to a story they've heard before. And so I think there's, um, uh, there's something I try to do is like, not just give people blanket advice, but say, well, when I was in this situation, I did this and this was the result and it was either good, bad, or I would do it differently. You know, like the, the, there's a result that's, that's, that's a, it's a way I can tell like advice without it being here's what you should do. Cause I don't mm -hmm. know what you should do. You're a different human than me with a different background, different like consequences of your actions. It, it would be naive for me to say, here's how you start a business, Matt. And like, I'll just like give you the, the, the playbook I used mm -hmm. uh, instead. You should like, it should be, here's how I did it. It worked for me because of these things. I think 
but you're going to have to go try it and see what works for you because it's mm -hmm. totally different. Well, okay. Well, here, let, let's jump into one specific question. There, there was there was you as such, right? And it was really in the early days. And how did you then find, I guess the answer has already been said because you said you're on Zoom meetings all day long. Um, but how do you then get that word out? Hi, this is me. Here's what I do. Here's how, here's my, well, yeah. demonstrate I'm reputation in front of enough people to build enough of a clientele. Yeah. I mean, it was a hundred percent inbound in those early days. So it was all just me talk like writing blog posts about what I was doing and how I was doing it and sharing success from existing clients I had. And then it attracted more and then referrals ex as well from existing clients. Mm -hmm. The The key part though, was investing time into it. Like uh, a lot of freelancers, they, they sort of operate in the feast famine cycle of, you know, when I have business, I am just going to only put my head down and crank out the, the work. When I don't have business, I go, oh crap, I got to go find some clients. And so I said, I just always will spend 50% of my time on marketing and sales, regardless of how mm -hmm. many existing clients I have. And once I get too many, I'll start hiring people and I'll figure it out. And worst case scenario, we grow too fast. I burn, you know, I, I burn a few like clients and that sucks, but it also is a learning experience. I learned what I did wrong. Uh, mm -hmm. Best case scenario is I figure it all out in time and then make it work. And generally speaking, that's how it's gone. It's been like, mm -hmm. this, this. I think the sin of being afraid to, to build a business and hire people is much more likely to stall you out from a growth perspective yeah. than the sin of growing too fast. And too many people get too afraid of growing too fast. Um, but you don't have to grow again. Like I, I'm, this, that was right for me. I knew I wanted to get beyond just me as a company. I knew I kind of you know wanted to build a real business around it um, and wanted to be able to, you know, one important consideration as a freelancer is be able to take vacations. You either have to charge enough to build yourself out. So you have an extra week or two here and there, mm -hmm. or, you build a company that doesn't need you every day. And now I can take four weeks off for paternity leave and nobody's going to care. Yeah, you know, everybody will be fine. Yeah. All the bills get paid. And so, yeah, it's, a, it's a, it's difficult to know what you want in some ways when you're young too. I think mm. one thing that I also reflect on is like it, I don't think it was bad that I, I, flo I floated around and tried a lot of things when I was in my twenties and even the early thirties where I was like, I tried like 10 business ideas, side projects before I actually okay. made draft takeoff. Yeah. I wrote a blog post about this too, just because like, it's easy to look at, Oh, Carl's first business was draft.dev and they immediately sprung up and had mm. 16 people. They didn't raise any funding. That sounds awesome. But yeah, I started like 10 side projects that got nowhere and made $0. And I spent countless hours on them. So like mm -hmm. call it what you want, but it okay. wasn't, it wasn't, you know, overnight. It was, I feel very fortunate to have found one that worked, but it took a lot of tries and mm -hmm. it was kind of just the, the culmination of all that learning with the right place at the right time. And that's something that you'll hear a lot. If like, as I've listened to other entrepreneurs, almost all of them are repeats. Uh, you, you think about even the most famous ones, they've almost always done other things before that led mm -hmm. up to them starting the one you actually heard of. And so I think too many people over-index on, oh, I better swing, you know, my first one better be a home run. It's like, yeah, it's, it's probably not going to be, it's going to be 10 of like, oh, I tried freelancing for a while. I sucked at it, whatever, you know, it's just going to mm -hmm. go over and over. So um, yeah, it, enjoy the journey though, because that, that part is, it's, I keep reminding myself, enjoy the journey, enjoy the little wins. Cause it's, it doesn't, um, it, it doesn't never just stop and you get to sit on a beach. It's, it's interesting that you say that. Um, I guess both those points about 
that it's not the first time. I think I have occasionally heard of things that did, but it was more, I think, just pure happenstance that it just happened to happen and you just happened to be there at the right moment, that sense of synchronicity. There was a person I worked yeah. for or a, a company I worked at in the UK and he was a case in point, I think. I, I did kind of very, um, very, very gentle research on it. And he was, the, I think he was like one of the first people in the UK who did like these voucher code websites. And if I remember correctly, he was, and I could be speaking out of turn, but my perception was that this first business did great because he just happened to, it was just beautiful timing. He was super duper passionate about it, saw something and just went after it, right? Hats off to him for that. Um, but then as far as I know, he then started a series of, of kind of kind of like clone businesses in, in different verticals, but none of them ever replicated the success of the first one. And, and so even for him, like even he did astoundingly well, but any business that came after, at least in that broad space, was, was always a shadow of the first. So yeah. you can have beautiful timing, but yeah, I hear this story a lot of... It's like, oh, you're doing really well. Oh, it's really amazing. Yeah, I'm an, I'm an amazing 10-year overnight success, aren't I? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so it's that. One thing I will just, just briefly wind up on. Uh, actually, no. No, it'll take longer. Another time. <laughs> we'll, do, we'll do it again, Matt. I mean, it's, uh, it's always a pleasure. I really cool. appreciate you uh, inviting me to chat with you because um, you, you know, you're, you're one of these people who likes to jump in deep to the conversations like we were talking about earlier. So Absolutely. I enjoy this. Well, it's been wonderful. Um, I, I would usually say at this point in time, if there's something you'd like to plug, um, if you'd like to feel free to jump in, otherwise we can just wrap up there. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, this isn't too hard of a plug. I guess, you know, as intro, I run draft.dev. We do uh, technical marketing content. So if you're an engineer who likes to write or a company that wants a bunch of great writing by engineers, uh, you can check us out. But otherwise, I'm always happy to answer questions from people, uh, whether you're on Twitter, you want to send emails. Um, I love talking to people who are at career crossroads or wanting to start a business or just did and just curious about like, what does it look like? And some of those those feelings things, because it, it you know I feel them and I struggle with them every day. Cool. Well, thanks very much. Uh, as always for the time, I love uh, listening to the sagely wisdom. I'll drop all of the relevant links into the notes for the episode. And that's a wrap for this episode. You can find more about anything you've heard in today's episode by going to freethegeek.fm. That's freethegeek.fm. If you've enjoyed the episode, I'd love it if you'd give it a rating on your podcast platform of choice. Alternatively, please leave a comment in the episode discussion. I'd love to know what you think, what you thought was good, what could do with a bit more work, etc, etc. Otherwise, I'll see you next time. <laughs>